This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR. R-A-Z-O-R. Welcome to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. It is Wednesday, December 7th. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, you can follow John at J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can follow me at Jakeski52. Today, we're going to be making our fantasy picks for the biggest fights at UFC 206. John, this is a card essentially built to find the next opponent for Jose Aldo because, uh, you know, after Conor McGregor won the lightweight uh, title since the last time we spoke, uh, the UFC decided it was time to strip him of that featherweight title. And now we've got uh, Aldo as the champion here. Uh, what was your initial reaction when you thought that uh, when, when McGregor got stripped of the title? Um, I wasn't surprised. I figured it was coming. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is that you just can't allow a guy to more or less hold an entire vision hostage. Um and not, I don't even necessarily believe that McGregor's kind of doing it on purpose. I just think that there are so many, and especially in a division that's so deep and has so many quality fighters at the top of it, you just you can't have a guy hold the title and not defend it. You know, if they want to, they want to do these catchweight fight McGregor catchweight fights with Nate Diaz, and he wants to you know challenge for the lightweight title. You know, that's fine, and you know you can do that and make money and all that stuff. And I understand he's the most popular fighter in the sport. But eventually, you know, you have to try and settle, you know, provide some clarity on on the title picture. So I wasn't really surprised that they did it. Connor always had a huge weight cut to get down to 145 anyway. And, 
155 was always the weight class where everybody thought that he would be at his best. So, uh, you know, he just won the lightweight title. So, you you know, you knew he wasn't going to give that up. So I I really wasn't surprised when they announced it. Yeah, And UFC president Dana White had kind of hinted it and and said, okay, this is going to happen. He's going to have to give up a belt. I just don't think that people expected him to do it so willingly. And and he hasn't exactly done it willingly. You know, there's still a little bit of contention there. But uh, I guess when it's all said and done, we're going to have a new featherweight uh, champion here at some point in 2017 yeah we will and you know the ufc was without getting to you know much detail they were within their rights to do what they did you know mm-hmm. McGraw, they and they didn't really they didn't really strip him that's not really the lie where they kind of just forced him to relinquish it you know the end result is the same obviously but mm-hmm. um you know they, they realized that connor makes you know them a lot of money but the and the other thing is you know mcgregor is going to draw big crowds and big pay-per-view numbers whether it's a title fight or not, and all that stuff. So, in essentially, if you strip him or you know make him relinquish the lightweight title, uh, excuse me, the featherweight title, then you know you can build up you know other champions and other contenders mm-hmm. in that division, which is pretty much what they're trying to do by making this an interim title fight. Yep, uh, other contenders such as you know argu- arguably the best featherweight fighter of all time in Jose Aldo, who is named kind of the champion of the division here. He, you know he was ready to walk away from the UFC not so long ago, so this will probably appease him as well. But we do get a chance to find his next opponent, and that will be the main event at UFC 206 Saturday in Toronto. We're going to see Max Holloway against Anthony Pettis here. Uh, I mean, they kind of threw that. You mentioned this in your article and your preview on the website, John. How they kind of just threw the interim featherweight tag on there to give it a, a, a quote-unquote title fight because uh, of the DC Rumble Johnson fight getting scrapped. That's pretty much how that went, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's the simple way to put it. They pretty much slapped the title tag on this in order to increase pay-per-view buys. Mm-hmm. And Max Holloway deserves a title fight. He's, you know, for all the good work he's done. Um, Anthony Pettis does not with what we've seen from him lately. But mm-hmm. this He's is got one the, of the name, at least. He does. He's a popular fighter, although he hasn't fought well lately. So this is one of those things where they just they put an interim tag on it in hopes that it would increase pay-per-view buys after DC was forced to withdraw from the um, Rumble Johnson fight. Yeah, absolutely. So here we go. We're looking at this fight from a DraftKings perspective, John. You got Max Holloway. Uh, Vegas says that he's the favorite. Uh, Holloway, who is 1-9 straight, uh, coming in at minus 195, whereas Pettis is plus 175. Uh, the DraftKings salaries kind of match that. Holloway's 8,800. Pettis is 7,400. And real quick before kind of making our picks here, the odds to finish are minus 115 either way. So basically Vegas is telling us that we have a just about as good a chance of a decision as we do a finish here. Now, uh, you know, Pettis uh, has been in some big fights before, but you said he's hit a rough patch lately here. Do you think he can break out of that, or is this Holloway's fight to lose? I think for the, I think from what we've seen lately, it's Holloway's fight to lose. Um, Pettis, Anthony Pettis to me, He's lost three of his last four fights. He lost three in a row at one point. Um, he defeated Charles Oliveira in his last fight in August. He didn't look particularly comfortable in the fight. He still looked a little bit off to me. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that he's doing now is, you know, his biggest asset is that Anthony Pettis is an elite athlete. And he can do things in the cage that other people can't do. But it sure as heck looks like he's thinking out there more than reacting and any good fighter will tell you that they're at their best when they're just reacting to whatever their opponent throws at them. So even though Pettis won the Oliveira fight, 
he just he still looks a step slow and he still looks a bit off. And the other thing is he certainly seems to be getting hit more than ever before. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Rafael dos Santos fight where he lost his lightweight title, you know, was the you know most glaring example. But um, Anthony Pettis, he looks hesitant and that worries me in a fight against a guy who Max Holloway's greatest strength is his striking ability, his striking accuracy, not necessarily overwhelming power in the sense that he's just going to, you know, finish people, you know, like Conor McGregor finished the Alvarez, that kind of thing. But it's activity and it's pressure and it's combinations. And with what we've seen from Pettis, you know, the past year and a half, you know, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. he, this looks like the kind of fight that he would have problems with. Now, that being said, Pettis not all that long ago was, you know, regarded by most everybody as one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world. And at 7,400 on a DraftKings salary, that's a, you know, fairly cheap salary for mm-hmm. a fighter who not all that long ago was considered one of the best in the world in any division. So, you know, I, 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 from what we've seen lately, I think it's clear that Holloway is the, deserves to be the favorite mm-hmm. and is certainly my pick to win. But, you know, this is one of those where, you know, we say all the time, if you find someone, you have to pick underdogs somewhere. And I don't think Pettis is the worst play in the world at the price, but, you know, he's not my pick to win. Yeah, it's tough for Pettis because, you know, remember he's moving down a weight class from lightweight to featherweight, or he did that recently, and he's still surrendering. Holloway's a little bit taller, an inch taller. Pettis actually does have a uh, three-inch reach advantage, according to UFC.com. Here. So so it's very interesting, but I, I'm with you, John. Holloway's my pick, too. I mean, from what I've seen from the 25-year-old rattling off this win streak, uh, he, he's he's been so excellent with his striking lately, and he'll be able to rack up fantasy points by getting a lot of strikes tallied up. My only concern is half of his professional victories are by decision, and that doesn't always play out great from a DraftKings standpoint. You're, a lot of times you're looking for a quick finish, so I mean, you could take the dog in this fight. I Chances are i'm probably going to avoid it but uh i i think both of us are are in the holloway camp here yeah and you know the other thing about holloway is you know he keeps getting better every mm-hmm. you know that and that's what we always say when you know these young kids and holloway's 25 that they improve every single time they're out there you know older guys guys once you get to 30 31 32 it's not really realistic to expect these guys to make great advancements because they're heading towards the you know the back part of their athletic prime but when you have a kid that young to see him improve as much as he has on a fight to fight basis is what you're looking for. And that, you know, that's what we've seen from him when, you know, wins over Jeremy Stevens, Ricardo Lamas, Charles Oliveira, Cub Swanson. I mean, he's won, I believe it's nine fights in a row. Yep. That's he, what he's yep, looking at. Nine, nine in a row. <laughs> and he, you know, most of them haven't been close. I mean, he has a, he has, I think he has three decisions in there, but none of them were close decisions. He, you know, he won all of them easily. So he not only does he have nine wins in a row, he's been one of, impressive in every one of them. So often we see these guys nowadays who run off these winning streaks, and somewhere in there, you know, there's a split decision or you know something like that. But not Holloway. This recent run he's been on, he's pretty much rolled through everybody. So why I understand that Pettis has the pedigree behind him and he's been in the bigger fights in his career. I don't think there's any doubt that Holloway's the guy who's fighting better lately. 
Yeah, absolutely. Here, so let's uh, shift over to our co-main event here. Uh, you know, we're both picking Holloway, and I think the co-main events one we can agree on as well. It's a welterweight matchup between Donald Cerrone, one of the most active fighters in all of MMA, comes in with a thirty-seven, or I'm sorry, a thirty-one and seven record. Takes on kind of an aging fighter, and Matt the Immortal Brown comes in with a twenty-two and fifteen record. Cerrone, massive favorite in terms of DraftKings, and I guess not, not a huge favorite in real life. He's minus two seventy-five according to Vegas. Brown plus two thirty. That's Stayed pretty stagnant since these odds came out here. Cerrone, big hefty price tag at 9300 on DraftKings. Brown, uh, 6900 on DraftKings. Now, I think we both agree that we're going to pick Cerrone in this fight. So the real question is, is uh, can he hit value by getting that early knockout to live up to that $9,300 price tag? Well, the, the, comp, the easy answer is no. Mm-hmm. And that's simply because in Matt Brown's entire career, he's been knocked out once. So, you know, the odds, the odds of that happening are not particularly good. And that was actually in his last fight with mm-hmm. Jake Ellenberger in July. That was the first time in Matt Brown's entire career that he's ever been knocked out, mm-hmm. which is hard to believe. Yeah. And that was a surprise. I mean, our whole staff thought that Brown was going to come in and roll over Ellenberger, someone who was cut yeah. from the roster at one point. Yeah, it, you know, this, this, I was, and I, this is what I said in the article, I don't see any way, normally these guys... Fighters who are big underdogs, you can kind of come up with a way that maybe if everything breaks right, there's something that they could do. You know, if a guy's a good wrestler, he can, you know, grind it out and lay on top of a guy for 15 minutes, something like that. There is no way in the world that I see Matt Brown can win this fight. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, he, the truth, and I said the two things Matt Bra- Brown does well is, you know, he's good cardio and he, you know, he has good. He has good striking placement. You know, he's a tough guy, and he strikes well. But no one has better cardio than Cowboy. And I don't, you know, the the striking is going to more or less be negated by the fact that we never see anyone be able to push the pace on Cowboy. Cowboy is always the guy who pushes the pace the other way against you. So, Mm -hmm. um, look, Matt Brown is, and I've been saying this, you know, since we started, you know, covering MMA at Roadwire, ever since Matt Brown went on a nice streak for a while, but as soon as he had to begin to face the best fighters in the world, he was exposed. And the big reason is that he's a below-average athlete. He's a tough guy with power, but he's not going to be able to keep up with these guys who can win different ways. And Cowboy has power. You know, he's a great mat wrestler, and guys like that who are kind of one dimensional Brown is, you know, a striker with power, but there's little else to his game. Guys like that who are one dimensional can't defeat the best fighters in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know what, I don't know what Brown can do other than, you know, one fluke knockout, which can happen to anybody. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know what Brown can do to win this fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely doesn't have momentum in his favor, losing four of his last five. Granted, it's been against tough opponents. Your Robbie Lawler, Johnny Hendricks, Damian Maya, all losses in there here. But, uh, yeah, I agree that at 35, I, I just don't see a path to victory with Brown. I mean, he is capable of getting a takedown, but even if he does complete a takedown, Cerrone is so good off his back and has very underrated jiu-jitsu, I believe. And uh, I just think that... Uh, 
Cerrone will be able to defend anything that Brown's able to throw his way. The odds to finish on this fight are minus 155, so Vegas does seem to think uh, we won't hear the final bell in this one, so that's productive from a DraftKings standpoint. But one of those, it's one of those situations where if you pay up 9300 for a guy like Cowboy, you're going to have to pick some massive upsets here. Let's move on to flyweight, though, John, here. We got an interesting bout between, I mean, the flyweight division is Mighty Mouse and everybody else. But there is an interesting battle between a uh, established presence in Cub Swanson, who enters this fight 23-7. and seven. He's going up against Duhu Choi, who uh, is kind of the young up-and-comer of, of this class here. Choi's actually the favorite, despite not quite as much experience. Choi's an 8900 price tag on DraftKings, whereas Swanson is just 7300 And Choi is a minus 220 favorite over Swanson, a plus 180 dog. Can you break this one down for us, John? Yeah, you know, I think these are featherweights. Um... Oh, yeah, featherweights. You're right. I That is uh, my bad. I had flyweight written down, but featherweight, yeah. you were correct. Um, you know, this is a classic case of one of those up-and-comers against a guy who, you know, has been around and, you know, been a name for a while. And I was a little surprised, to be honest, when I saw both the odds and the salaries on this fight. Um, Choi is certainly, you know, his nickname is the Korean Superboy, and if that's your nickname, you, you know, better be good. Um he is certainly one of the brightest, best prospects in the division. He's had three UFC fights, and he has three first-round knockouts. I mean, it doesn't get any better. But this is one of those things where if you have to find upsets somewhere, I took I picked Swanson in this fight, and Swanson Cub has forever been one of the more underrated fighters on the roster. Um, he earned – he had a – Terrific six-fight winning streak from January 2012 to June 2014. Big wins. Jeremy Stevens, Dustin Poirier, Charles Oliveira. I mean, big names. He finally got pushed into the title picture. Lost back-to-back fights against Frankie Edgar and Max Holloway. And then, you know, was came down a step and then has since defeated Hakran Diaz and Tatsuya Kawajiri in back-to-back fights. So, while I don't think Swanson is on the level of the top guys in the division... He's certainly right there on that next tier, you know, in that five, six, seven range. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those where we've never seen – this is by far the best fighter that Choi's ever faced. So, you know, this is one of those where I'm more in the have to see it um, before I believe it camp in this one. I know what Cub Swanson can do, and he struggled in the fights against Edgar and Holloway. Mostly because he just couldn't, he struggled with the foot speed of both of them, and he wasn't able, he's another guy who, Swanson's another guy who relies on pressure a lot, and he wasn't able to do that against Edgar and Holloway. Now, even if you like Choi, Swanson has been, you know, another guy his entire career, knocked out once. Extremely durable. Absolutely. So, I'm looking at that right now because if you if you look at the odds to finish on this fight, which are minus 180, that's the biggest on the main card. Uh, you know, Vegas seems to be thinking and the money seems to be saying that Choi gets the knockout, but you, that durability is so huge. The last time that Cub Swanson's been knocked out was 2009 in a WEC fight against Jose Aldo. Uh, so, you know, you got, a, you got one of the best featherweights in the world and, and he, hasn't and been knocked out since. One, even that knockout was eight seconds into the fight. So uh, whenever you see a knockout that early, you know, it screams fluke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it was a flying knee in punches. Yeah, so it, like, yeah. It, it, it happened right at the opening bell rang. Aldo clocked them, and, and it was done. So that's the only time in his career. Now, the reason the odds to finish are so are, you know, 
you know, so high on that is simply because, you know, of Choi's last three fights with three first round knockouts. You know, if you earn that kind of reputation, you start to get odds like that. But, you know, you, you have to come up with 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 upsets somewhere. And, you know, Swanson's underrated and we've never seen any we've never seen Choi against a opponent even remotely close to this caliber. So, you know, this is one of those where Choi probably deserves to be a favorite. I would agree with that, but certainly not on the level that he is. And, you know, those are the kind of things you have to look at when you put your lineup together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, and I actually agree with you. I'm going to take the veteran, the big UFC veteran who has faced all of the best over over the young up and cover. In this case, who's kind of relying on that knockout here. Um, you're right because you got to pick upsets on DraftKings, and uh, this is one where you know I'm going to be with you, John. And I think that uh, you have to give Swanson some serious consideration at 7,300. I mean, you only get 8,300 or 8,333 per fighter, and you know you take that 7,300. It's an extra thousand dollars to put towards a Cerrone if you want to go in that direction or put towards some other fights here so i I like the uh the uh, the chances that swanson has in this one here let's move to a middleweight fight though between tim kennedy and kelvin gaslam now uh gaslam was actually supposed to face uh donald cerrone who's in this in the co-main event they were supposed to fight in a welterweight bout at ufc 205 that one got scrapped because uh kelvin gaslam once again missed weight so He's moving. Uh, he's going to be at middleweight moving forward. I don't think we ever see him at welterweight again. Correct? I would be shocked. The UFC just can't take the risk. Mm-hmm. So he gets to match it up against Kennedy at middleweight, and uh, Kennedy is actually the favorite both in terms of Vegas odds and DraftKings salary. Kennedy is eighty three hundred, so right on average there. Gaslam is seventy nine hundred. Kennedy a minus one fifty five favorite. Gaslam plus one thirty. I've seen some money moving slightly towards Gaslam, but nothing drastic yet. The odds to finish on this one are plus 135, so Vegas seems to like this one going the distance. John, how do you see this one playing out? I would agree with going the distance part, and um, this is another one I'm a little surprised that Kennedy's the favorite. Um, you know, no one's – I love Tim Kennedy. Coming out to Rooster from Allison Chains, one of my favorite entrances in MMA. Um, but Gaslam's problem, and we've said this before, has always been the weight issue, you know. When Kevin Gaslam shows up and makes weight, he fights well, which is, you know, the guy, he always, Gaslam has never had a bet, you know, he's never looked poor. So he's not going to have problems. I mean, I should never say never, but, you know, I don't think he's going to have any problems whatsoever making weight in this fight. Now, you know, and the thing that worries me here, and this is what I wrote about this, is Tim Kennedy has not fought in over two years. Um, mm-hmm. he's been healthy for the vast majority of that time, which makes it very strange. Um, his last fight in September, 2014 was against Joel Romero. Um, if you don't remember that fight, that's the fight where Kennedy had Romero badly, badly hurt and Romero didn't get off the stool. That's the stool gate one. I remember. Yes. Yes. yes at the end of the round, mm-hmm. um, Romero ended up getting a TKO knockout early in the third um, Kennedy has been very, very involved in both, you know, PED use in the sport, and he was involved in that fighter union that was formed a couple last week or the week before. Mm-hmm. He's he's been very he has a lot of interests in the sport that aren't more, that I should I guess the easiest way to say is beyond fighting. So he and but he's thirty seven years old now, you know, he turned thirty seven in September, so. 
you, people who fighters who take two years off at age 37 very very rarely do it willingly um and from what we can tell you know the best of everyone's knowledge kennedy has more or less been willingly taking this time off you know so what 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 do you what are you going to see from him on saturday night now this is a guy who in kennedy who is one of the best all-around middleweights in the world and has been for a long time. Strike Force, WEC, competed all over the world, you know, for me, uh, former, you know, National Guard Army member. But Gastelum is a guy who is still very young, age 25, only turned 25, uh, you know, in late October. And Gastelum, he's 2-4 and four in his last, uh, excuse me, 2-2 two and two in his last four fights. But went over Johnny Hendricks, a split decision lost to Neil Magny in which he started slowly and by the time he picked up the pace just ran out of gas. And a split decision loss to Tyron Woodley, which, you know, Woodley's, you know, welterweight, you know, welterweight champion now. And, you know, Gastelum has missed weight multiple times in his career. He missed weight, you know, for the Woodley fight. He missed weight for the Cerrone fight, which is, you know, why that fight never happened. So mm-hmm. But he's, I mean, as I mentioned before, you know, I, we're not expecting him to have a problem missing, you know, missing weight and middleweight. So as far as I'm concerned, until I, someone, you know, gives me reason, you know, to believe otherwise, you're going to get a healthy Kelvin Gastelum on Saturday and against the guy who was 37 years old and haven't fought in two years, that worries me. Mm-hmm. But I agree, I, I agree with the, um, Going the distance. Kennedy's only been knocked out twice in his career. He's never been submitted. So, you know, and I don't see, and Gaslam has never been lost, you know, via stoppage. So you have two guys with, you know, a decent amount of fights combined and only two, you know, two stoppages. So, uh, you know, I'd be surprised if this one doesn't go to the distance, which, as we know, all know, makes them both poor plays. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I do want to play a little devil's advocate here and uh, s- give you some reasons why maybe Kennedy would have a chance. Uh, one is because, of course, Gaslam moving up that weight class here, you know, up another 15 pounds. He was a pretty big guy in the welterweight division here, and now he's going to be, I mean, Tim Kennedy has a two-inch height, three-inch reach, and one-inch and one inch leg reach advantage here and uh so you know maybe Gaslam has a little bit of trouble closing the distance that's one way i'm really torn with this fight uh this is one of the hardest ones that i'm i'm having to pick and i know that ring rust is a real thing and that's a big concern for kennedy i'm leaning kennedy a little bit with the favorite here i I just i just like his experience and uh you know that little bit of a size advantage he has but i could very well change my my mind by the time we go with these actual picks i think this is a toss-up and probably one to avoid on DraftKings for that reason it is. I mean, and just from a personal standpoint, I think this is actually the fight I'm looking forward to the most. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this is just this is one of those fights where both guys are really good, and you know, I like. I've always liked Kennedy, and uh, you know, I definitely thought it, Kennedy was scheduled to face Rashad Evans at the Garden last month, mm-hmm. and I certainly would have picked Kennedy in that fight. Yep. So you know, this this is not this, me picking Gaslam is certainly not a knock in saying I don't believe in Kennedy. I just think Gaston was really good. Mm-hmm. And I remember I've been, uh, you know, working with you for several years now, and you've always been a big fan of Kelvin Gastelum. So you're definitely yeah, staying consistent just, there. As long as he makes, you know, it's, it's what I said before. If he makes weight and can show, you know, shows up in shape, there are, you know, there are few guys in the world who have more natural ability than he does. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a worry at welterweight. It shouldn't be a worry at middleweight. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, so this will be a great one to watch here. Again, both of these fight, fighters were scheduled to fight at, at the Garden at 205, but, uh, of course, needed to be pushed back here, uh, giving giving this Toronto card a nice little boost here. The last one on the pay-per-view, though, John, it's a welterweight matchup, I believe, between Jordan Mean and Emil Meek. Uh, the DraftKings celery on this one, Mean comes in as a pretty uh, pretty big favorite there. Uh, 9,000 on DraftKings. Meek is 7,200 here. Um, the Vegas odds, Mean has a minus one. 160 favorite meek a plus 140 dog here um i'm not seeing odds to finish listed anywhere yet uh though going over one and a half rounds is minus 120 so that's the best i can get you there here um i i admittedly i don't know a ton about these guys both of these guys are relatively uh i guess you could say maybe green in the ufc but uh how do you see this one playing out john you know, this is. I'm a little surprised that this is actually on the main card of the pay per view. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they wanted to give the FS prelims, the Krylov Serkinov one. Yeah, I mean, you know, means means a Canadian kid, so uh, that probably has something to do with it too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just sum it up real quick. Mean last August at age 25 announced his retirement. It was surprising in the sense that he's a kid who his dad was involved in the sport and. You know, from you starting to see guy, you know, Sage Northcutt's another one now. Guys who have really been training since they were, you know, young teenagers, 13, 14 years old. And it was always that, you know, that always seemed to be the route that um, Jordan Mean was going in. So I was very surprised when I heard that he'll make his return Saturday. Um, even though he's now, you know, only 27, turned 27 last month, uh, um, in October, I should say. He's fought Tyron Woodley. He's fought Matt Brown. He fought Rory McDonald early in his career. West two Western Canadian boys. So, um, you know, mean his uh, his biggest asset from what I've seen is that he doesn't get hit very often in striking exchanges. He doesn't have a ton of power. Good athlete though, doesn't get hit. And you know that those are the kind of guys who uh, tend to bounce back better from time away simply because, you know, the first thing that goes is your speed. And if you're a good athlete and you can avoid getting clocked every five seconds, you have a chance. Now, I, I'm assuming he's making this comeback, you know, in full dedication to the sport. I don't know why he wouldn't do it. Otherwise, he never strikes me as that kind of guy. So mm-hmm. placing him against a guy in Emil Meek, who's making his UFC debut, who has had – he defeated – Longtime UFC veteran Rusmar Paharis in his last fight in 45 seconds. Um, Paharis, for those who don't know, is the guy who always refuses to let get rid of his submissions, even though he's holding on. You know, even though ref stops the fight. Oh, the guy who cranks him. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rings um, well. Yeah. So you know, me uh, from ev- from all intention from everything uh, you know I've seen, Meek has a lot of power. I don't know what else he has. Um, you know, Mean Jordan Mean has. You know, he's been knocked out three times in his career, so he has a bit of a susceptible chin. But, you know, I don't I don't this is one of those where it's probably best to say away. You have a guy who hasn't fought, you know, in nearly two years against a guy who's never fought for the company before. So say you're desperate for a knockout on DraftKings, though, and you need a real cheap guy. I mean, is Meek maybe in consideration just because he does have that power and means been knocked out in the past? Like. Yeah, you, yeah, you got to pick yeah, dogs. So, you know, you got to pick three dogs out of the six fighter lineup, basically. Like you know, you know, to give you an example, I would pick Mean at seventy two hundred before I pick Matt Brown at sixty nine hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if, exactly. If you want to, if you want to look at it that way, so yeah, you know, I, he's shown power in the 
Mika's shown power in the past. So, you know, putting a guy like that as, you know, the last guy in your lineup in hopes of getting a finish, you know, is not the worst play in the world. But this is, you know, two guys who both have question marks about them. And we say this all the time, you know, you can run the stats, run the numbers and, and do all that stuff. But, you know, no one knows what's going to happen when they get in there. So the best you can do is just give yourself, you know, the best chance of, of trying to be successful. And when you crunch the numbers, it, it's hard to try and, you know, fit one of these guys into your lineup because it's two guys we just don't have a lot of information on. Absolutely. All right. So kind of going on that note, John, looking at the card as a whole, whether it's the main pay-per-view card, if it's someone you're going to find on the FS1 or fights, Fight Pass prelims, does anybody stand out as a DraftKings value play overall? You know, the one guy who I was looking at who I thought was a pretty good play, and I, I didn't pick him to win, but I, I thought was a good play, was Dustin Ortiz in his fight against Zach Makovsky. Um, two flyweight guys, both very good fighters. Dustin Ortiz has, I mean, um, Makovsky has for a while, too. Mm -hmm. Um, Two of the more underweighted flyweights out there. But, um, you know, I like Dustin Ortiz, teammate of Anthony Pettis and CM Punk at Rufus Sport. Um, I I think he's a, you know, guy who's fought, you know, very, all the top uh, flyweights in the world. I I think he's a pretty good play. And um, the other one that I thought was a good play was I'm not a I was never very high in value Returno. She got a kind of built a recipe, a reputation on her fight against title fight against Joanna and Jacek, in which she took a beating but lasted until the final bell. Mm-hmm. And you know it, it that doesn't make her a good fighter. That makes her tough. And I've never seen, you know, much from her. So um, at 7,800, um, you know, Vivian Pereira, I think, is a pretty decent play, too. So, you know, there there are a lot of fighters on the undercard on this fight who I think you can make an argument for, which doesn't happen on every fight. This is one of those cards where you can kind of go up and down. And I think there are plenty of different ways to um, to work your lineup, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, just to summarize, Dustin Ortiz, 7,700, not a bad upset. Vivian Pereira, 7,800. Can open yourself up if you want to take a couple of favorites, you know, whether it's Cerrone, whether it's uh, Choi, and you're banking on that knockout there. So there's a lot of opportunities on this card for sure here. Um, any other fights on the whole card that you're just straight up excited to see? Anything that you want to, uh, you're going to be tuning in to catch for sure? Uh, it's what, the one you meant before. I want to see the Krylo, uh, Nikita Krylov Misha Serkinov fight. Mm-hmm. Um, Two different styles. Serkinov is just a big, powerful guy who has relies really on brute strength compared to really anything else. And mm-hmm. Krylov wasn't was never very good at heavyweight during his time in the UFC, but he's been all but unstoppable at light heavyweight. Big submission skills, big time power. So, and in a light heavyweight division where it's pretty much wide open. You know, you're trying to find, you're trying to find guys who really threaten, you know, can make waves. And, you know, with John Jones, all his nonsense going on, it's hard to find those top guys. So a fight like this between two, you know, guys who are right there in the top 10, I think is, you know, the kind of fight that, you know, makes a card like this exciting. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that light heavyweight division, it's just kind of a mess. I mean, John Jones is, you know, Dana said he's not going to feature him in the main event anymore until he can trust him. DC is out six to eight weeks with a groin injury. That's pretty recently. Gustafson still got a back injury. So there's a lot to a lot to open up here. And who knows, maybe one of these guys will get their shot uh, as we continue moving forward here. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I like that one. And I also want to see this Troy Swanson fight. I know we talked about it already, but I want to see what all the hype is because I admittedly haven't seen a ton of choice so far. And I want to see if he can get that early knockout and prove Vegas right or not. So, that, so that's, uh, that's it for me. But, uh, hey, John, thanks for joining me again. We're going to be back with you guys before UFC 207 here, uh, the uh, the return of Ronda Rousey, the much-anticipated return there. But until then, good luck with your DraftKings lineups, and thanks again for listening to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. For John Littering, I'm Jake Letarski. Like I said, we'll be back before UFC 207. John, until next time. Thanks. Talk to you soon. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R.